30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 138, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. My goal with every podcast is to help you be the parent you want to be. I interview child and adolescent experts to help you understand your kids and why they do what they do. I'll give you tools to grow them into great kids. No topic is off limits. So if there's a subject that you would like discussed, let me know. Again, these podcasts are for you. At the end of each podcast, I'll give you three points to ponder, which are takeaways that you can start using right away. And when you listen to the podcast, please subscribe. Every episode contains the most up-to-date, professional help on a variety of issues. PGK is on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Google Play Store. If you like what you hear on any of the PGK podcasts, please join our private community, Meeker Parenting Community. Just go to my website, meekerparenting.com and join our private community. Here you can ask me questions, chat with other parents and find support from parents struggling with the same issues. You'll have free access to every course I've ever created. Check it out, meekerparenting.com. Today, my guest is Sissy Goff. Sissy is the Director of Child and Adolescent Counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. She works alongside her counseling assistant, pet therapist, Lucy the Havanese. Since 1993, she's been helping girls and their parents find confidence in who they are and hope in God who is making them to be both as individuals and families. Sissy's a sought-after speaker for parenting events and the author of 12 books, including the best-selling Raising Worry-Free Girls and Braver, Stronger, Smarter. This is a book for elementary-age girls. And her new release for teenage girls, Brave. Sissy's a regular contributor to various podcasts and publications, as well as her own podcast, called Raising Boys and Girls. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Sissy Goff. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Well, Sissy, it is so delightful to have you on my podcast. I love your books. I love the work that you do. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, I could say every bit of that back to you. It is delightful to be here. I was so honored when I was reached out to, to be a part of it because I have loved your books for years. And oh. as I was telling you before, your work has really shaped a lot of our counseling practice at Daystar. So I'm just really grateful for you. Well, that's very humbling. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, You know, early in your book, Brave, A Teen Girl's Guide to Beating Worry and Anxiety, um, you you teach girls to define worry and um, to use words. What are those words? So we talk about fear, worry, and anxiety. And again, Mm -hmm. this is up your alley. You're having these conversations all the time too. Um, You know, fear is brought about by the thing that we're afraid of. So we're only afraid when we're in the presence of it or anticipating it. Worry can get a little more pervasive. And I Mm -hmm. think all of us worry, especially 
in this day and time. We're all worriers to some degree. And then I would characterize anxiety as, you know, all of us, we all have thousands of intrusive thoughts per day. But for someone with anxiety, those intrusive thoughts, rather than popping in my head, like, I, I imagine the worst case scenario, oh, never mind, it's not going to happen. It gets stuck. I always say with kids, it's like the one loop roller coaster yeah. at the fair. And it yeah. just goes over and over and over. And they can't get themselves out of it. They can't work themselves out. Right. It, it is really like rumination that you yes. talk about. And I always say, you know, anxiety talks to you. Mm. You call it the the word whisper. The worry, it, the whisper. worry whisper. The yes. worry whisper. Yeah. And so it's it's almost like you hear things in your head, but you don't hear them. You feel them over and over and over. I can't, I can't, I'm not, I'm not, what if, what if. So what are some of the thoughts that teenage girls have that, that ruminate in their minds when they're in the midst of anxiety? Well, big picture, I think almost every adolescent girl I've ever encountered in my counseling practice would think, something's wrong with me and I'm the only one who feels that way Mm -hmm. from a bigger standpoint. I think that Mm -hmm. frames probably a lot of what's happening to them internally, but, but specifically the things I'm hearing about, I mean, through the pandemic, there was a lot of kids looping about getting sick, of course, forever, which I would imagine this drives kids to your practice. I've had kids who are worried about throwing up and then, you know, obviously their bodies get on board and they get nauseated and then often, end up throwing up. Mm -hmm. And then I would say I'm hearing more kids who are putting pressure on themselves in all different ways. I mean, I have a lot of kids who 100 is not enough for them. They're going for 100s, 2s, 104s, and are so disappointed. I mean, really anything that we would normally be concerned about, I think they can get stuck in. Yeah. So what makes them go from normal worry that they can um, push away to that upper level of anxiety. What is it that takes them from that one step to the other? Is it a predisposition? Is it something in their environment? Um, What triggers that? Well, again, I'm kind of talking in your lane a little bit, but I I mean, I would think there's some degree of predisposition. Mm -hmm. I would also think when there has been a trauma to the degree that their level of trust in the world and other people and God has been shaken, then I think it's easier to get stuck there. And And I think, you know, we could talk at length about parenting strategies because yeah. very graciously to any parents listening, I think kids are brought up in a way sometimes now that they really don't believe they're capable. And in the book, I, I did this kind of this layman's terms definition of anxiety, that anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an mm-hmm. underestimation of themselves. And so I think, unfortunately, there are parenting strategies that lend themselves to that without the parents ever intending to. Right. Well, I'm going to, from now on, talk to you as the mother of a teenage girl. Okay. And I want to get inside of her head and I want you to tell me about her and help me understand her and then give give me strategies for what to do. This is hard because you're going to tell me that I need to make some changes. Right. It's okay yes. because we can deal with this. <laughs> Right. That's what I tell parents. It's okay. You can hear the tough stuff because you can do this. I have four grown kids and I've gotten the list that they give you in their (laughs) twenties. 
right. the list that, the you list. Sa- that you saved up all your money for psychiatry bills for the <laughs> I was going to say, they first get in counseling and want to talk to you about all the yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I've got a daughter and she's 14 years old and she just seems wound up all the time. And it's the pandemic and she's not seeing her friends and I just don't know what to do with her because she she it's almost like she's living in a different world scared all the time all the time what do I do that's such a great question and and the reason I wrote this book is because I am most worried about adolescents and now particularly the ones that are isolated like you said mm-hmm. the ones that aren't seeing their friends and so I mean I think a couple of things I do believe if there's a way to do it safely, we need to be connecting them with other kids. Because mm-hmm. in my practice, right now, the ones that are struggling the most are still virtual. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think whether it's parked beside each other in cars and they can shout from one driver's seat to the next driver's seat. I mean, anything we can do that feels safe in terms of that, because I think there's a little bit of a teeter-totter because kids come to life so much around each other. So I think if we can help get them back to a little bit of that kind of safe normalcy, I think we can alleviate indirectly some of the anxiety. But in terms of that, I mean, I think we want to, I think we want to, talk about what's going on with her. I mean, I think something as simple as sitting down with her and with teenagers, I think a lot of times we've got to do it, not eyeball to eyeball, but we need to do it going for a walk or we need to do it, you know, doing something because they get so awkward about intimacy, especially with their parents. Because you're the mom. You're the mom, right? You know nothing. Right. right. You wear mom jeans. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And even to play on that idea of, you know, nothing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm telling parents right now all the time, I want you to say, what is it like to be a teenage girl right now? I can't imagine how hard it is. Because I think when we validate them in that way, it kind of opens the door to them feeling like they can talk a lot more. So I think that's always a great place to start. And then I think we can talk about some helpful coping strategies and tools we want to put in place because they all sure need them right now. We all sure need them right now. Right, right. I think that, you know, often parents um, tell me that – their teenage kids, the teenage girls in particular, don't want to talk to them. Um, yes. They shut down. They don't want their parents to see what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, my thoughts are that it's twofold. One is that developmentally, they feel embarrassed, they feel shame, and so they withdraw and they don't want their parents to see. The second is they're afraid if they divulge their intimate thoughts or their feelings to their mother or father, that the mother or father is not going to take them seriously. Mm-hmm. And so so they'll go kind of, okay, 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 but 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 now what? Just snap out of it. Right. Um, so, so specifically, what can a parent do to help a teenage girl open up so that she can talk through those feelings? Now, a parent can't be a counselor, and I'm, I'm not saying that. Sure. But, but you write in your book how important it is for girls to get their feelings out and to talk about them. How can parents draw their daughters out? Well, I would probably go with that question backwards and say, what not to do would be the complaint I hear the most from kids in my office, girls in particular, is my mom or my dad tries to fix it. Mm. And so, I mean, I have got, you know, the older I get, the more simple I become in a lot of ways. And so with parents of teenagers, the two words I use all the time are empathy and questions. Yeah. 
Like, that's what we need to think about. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut and validate her. Yes, it's so hard. Like we were talking about a minute ago. I can't imagine how hard this is. Or, yeah, I can tell you're frustrated. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do? Tell me what I can do to help. But what do you think is the right thing for you here? What would God want you to do? Because what I love about questions is it gives them an opportunity to problem solve, which I think Kids who are anxious often don't believe they're capable of doing that. And just the fact that we're asking the question implies, yes, I believe you're capable. Right. Like, you right. got this. Yeah. Here's the difficulty. As a mother or father who has an anxious girl, we're anxious about her anxiety. <laughs> so we right. come in, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? In our minds, yes. what's wrong with you? I've got to help you. Oh, you don't have self-confidence? Okay, let me go sign you. I'll get you a tutor for school and you can get A's instead of B's and you'll have more self-confidence. Mm. But sometimes when we try to draw our girls out, we make things worse. Yeah, Because we're so worried and we want to fix it and we want to get them on a different path that that creates more anxiety in them. Mm. Yes, that's so true. That reminds me, this is such a silly analogy, but I, I, I was dating a guy years ago and I remember him talk. He was like trying to swoop in uh, like a knight on a white horse. And I remember saying to him, I don't, I don't like that you're doing that because the fact that you're swooping in on a horse means I need to be rescued. Yes. Like something is wrong with me and it's yeah. not. Right. And And that same idea with kids, I think when we're that worried about them, mm-hmm then I think often they feel like, oh, maybe my parents should be worried about me. Maybe something's really wrong with me. And I didn't realize it rather than the the reality now is one in three adolescent girls are dealing with anxiety. And so it's much more pervasive than we have any idea. And one of my favorite stories ever, I have a friend who said when she was growing up, well, she was telling me later, she said, I realized that when I was growing up, I wish my mom had said, you've got this more than let me get this for you. Hope. Hope. And in, yes. and in, I will tell you, I was terrible at this when our son was growing up. We have three older daughters and my baby son, mm-hmm. um, who now is a grown up. He, you know, he's 28. And I remember being so fear. I wasn't like this with our daughters. I felt they could do anything they wanted, but I wanted to protect my son because he was my son. I didn't want him to be bullied. I didn't want him to get bad grades. I didn't want him to have to be in a bad mood or good. So I talked to him as though something was always wrong and I needed to figure out what it was so that I could help him. That is a horrible way to live. And I remember when he was 18, he finally looked down at me and he said, mom, quit talking to me as though there's something wrong with me. Wow. And, and I think that if you've got a daughter whom you adore and you don't know what's wrong with her, the, the impulse to want to come in and fix her is so overwhelming. And we have to learn to do just the opposite. We have to learn to back off and calm down. Yes. And go for a walk and don't say a word. I think you talk about in your book that kids need that safe space. Yes, absolutely. And so whatever you need to do as a parent, I mean, talking about helping kids learn coping strategies, one of the best things we can do is model them ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that may mean that you are in counseling yourself. And as a parent, if you have anxiety, your kids are seven times more likely which we could flip around too, because I sit with so many (laughs) kids who are anxious. And I will say to the parents, and I can tell, you know, I mean, when someone's really anxious, you can 
feel it in the room. And sometimes I will feel it from a parent and say, do you have any family history for anxiety? And the parent will say, no, not at all. (laughs) Which is, you know, so I think doing your own work and maybe talking to somebody yourself or definitely processing it with your spouse or a friend where it's not spilling over into them. Because when you're going to them over and over like something is wrong, not that it was true about you at all, Meg, but I think often with parents, it's about you and not them. Exactly. It was. It was about me. I mean, it was all about me and our son. And and I remember at that moment, you said one of the key things we need to do with our daughters is communicate to them, you've got this. Yes. You can do this. It's yes. really hard. You feel out of control. Um, you know, you might be shaking. You might be panicking. You might be feeling like you're throwing up. But you can do hard things. Yes. And I remember when my son said that to me, I got what he was saying and I and I said I'm so sorry and from that moment on I started calling him a man. Mm. Not a boy, wow. not my son, but a man. And I will tell you within a couple of weeks everything turned around because I changed. I made some changes. I didn't go through, you know, a, a lot of changes, but I started there and really to communicate to our kids you've got this. That is not something that modern parents have been taught to do. Right. You know, the helicopter, the lawnmower parents. We swoop in, particularly mothers. <laughs> um, I'll get you where you know, need to go. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We want them to be comfortable. We don't want them to have difficult times. So in treatment of anxiety, you talk about avoidance and how anxiety causes us, as, or, or, causes girls to want to avoid rather than march through the anxiety. And you give a great illustration of a mom who was homeschooling a daughter. The daughter was having a hard time and she said, okay, okay, I'll homeschool you. Right. So talk us through what she should have done. Well, I mean, I I sure don't want to speak against homeschool because I think obviously we would both say there are times and places it's great. But for this child, I think anytime our response to anxiety is just to pull them out of the situation or for kids themselves to pull themselves out. I think we are, like you talk about that worry has this voice, anxiety talks to us. We're just strengthening that voice. And so what I wish the parents had done is even if they, even if it was debilitating enough that they said, okay, we're going to take a couple weeks off and we're going to put you in counseling twice a week during that time period. And we're going to get that therapist to help us come up with a strategy of moving back into school. Mm -hmm. And so maybe then they start at half a day and they have an escape route of where they can go. That's a safe place. If they get really anxious, the nurse's office or the counselor's office. And then we go back three quarters of a day and then we go back full days, but we're gradually working towards doing the scary thing because that's the reality for any of us to work through our fear. We have to do the thing that makes us afraid. Well, and it's hard for a parent to push your kid through that fear. Oh, of course. You know, it's, it's very painful. I think that's one of the most painful things for parents is, you know, A, to believe this kid really can do this and I can do this. Um, but but I need to push my child, and I feel so mean by mm. doing that. Yeah. And um, I remember I had a, a boy in his teens who had terrible agoraphobia. He wouldn't go to school. Mm. And I remember I had a cell phone number, 
So if he was supposed to come in and see me that day and he didn't, I called him and I said, <laughs> you get on a bus, you get yourself here. It was easy for me to be mean because I wasn't his mother and right. I knew that's what he needed. And eventually, but he had to be pushed, almost bullied. And then he got over it and he was okay. Mm. So it's really, it's really hard. So you've talked about these ruminating thoughts that girls have through their heads. I'm not yes. enough. I'm too fat. I'm stupid. My friends aren't going to like me if I do this. I'm behind, so on and so forth. Should a parent, or is it too much for a parent, ask them to tell them, the parent, what those thoughts are and help that girl, because they're lies. Yes, absolutely. Right? They're lies. Yeah. And then help the girl's sort of diffuse those and take those lies down? Or is that something for a counselor? You talk about, sorry, I want you to talk about this too, that when you have um, a negative thought like that, that you need to counter it with three other thoughts. So should a parent do that? Should a kid learn to do that? Or should a counselor do that? Well, I mean, my hope is a parent could do it. I mean, definitely Mm -hmm. with little ones, I think a parent can do that. And I have a book for little girls that a lot of them are reading with their moms that that I'm having them do some of those practices together. With adolescents, I think if you have a strong enough relationship with your daughter that she will tell you, if you can, again, side by side, not face to face, do some kind of task while you're having the conversation, if she'll tell you, then I think you could even say, you know, I feel like we have to be so indirect with them too. But like, I'd love to tell you three truths to counteract that. Mm -hmm. You okay with that? And then, you know, I say breezy is the best posture with them too. But then go ahead and tell them three things. But I mean, with an adolescent, they're likely going to say, you have to say that because you're my mom. And so I do think that's where it can be good to bring in Mm -hmm. another voice. But I think if you can talk about it, it's so helpful. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I I think hopefully we can get past that. You're just my mom. You you have right. to say those things, maybe by doing it over and over, but it's really, yes. really tricky. Um, so uh, I have, can I tell you one thing? Sure. I love this story. I have a girl, I have been working with a family of three daughters, probably for 12 years on and off with all of these girls. And I just learned all these years in that their mom, I think almost daily writes them some kind of note and leaves it somewhere on their bed, in their bathroom, in their lunchbox, and either tells them some truth about themselves or just something she's grateful for with them. And I thought, I mean, that's a great way to do it too, because again, it's a little less direct. They don't feel awkward, but you're still getting your message across to them. Right. I think that's a great idea. And as you were were talking about talking with our daughters side by side, what would it be like if, you know, you kind of had a mom-daughter journal or dad-daughter journal, if you have a single dad or even married dad, and the daughter wrote to you all the things that go through her head, and then she gave it to you, and then you wrote back, uh, you know, all the truths that she is, because I think sometimes we have to stop and think, you know, we don't want to just react have you ever used that or what do you think about that idea? Yes, all the time. I love that idea. And I'll even tell parents not even to acknowledge that they're doing it. Leave it on her bed. Ask her a question or say something. Don't say a word about it. Let her respond. Just never even say it out loud because I think then that can bring that awkwardness into the situation and they could stop doing it. But I think it can be kind of a fun surprise thing that you have with them. Yeah, yeah I, I love I, that idea. Yeah, I th- and, and you know, it's, it's safer. It's safer to write something Safe. on paper than to tell a parent. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Sissy Goff. We need to take a quick break, but don't 
go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation. You say that when girls are eight years old, oh, this is uh, research has shown that when girls are eight years old, they have confidence levels of 30%. But by the time they turn for 14, it's between six and 8%. That is amazing. What amazing. causes that? Well, again, I feel like I'm in your, your lane. But I mean, there are a few different things. One that I have read about, never experienced as a pediatrician, but that their brain growth takes off so much. Michael Gurian talked about this, I think, in The Wonder of Girls. And he talked about how their brain growth takes off so much that it's like their brain short circuits and it impacts their memory and it impacts their confidence. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, from that standpoint, I feel like it's happening. Hormones, I think, dictate that. And then I think, you know, we could also talk about how in that window of time, they're often also getting on social media and that comparison, and especially in a pandemic, I think that has gotten so much worse. So that's a part of it. I think girls are mean in a lot of ways at every age, but I think they get meaner. You know, there are just so many things that contribute to that. It's so complicated. Um, it's it's yes. very complicated. Let's talk about technology um, for a minute because I love this. Um you talk about five ways that technology impacts girls. It creates a false sense of security, creates false sense of relationship. It feeds com- that comparison monster and it increases brain activity that's similar to anxiety. Um, so if you could unpack, oh, and it, and it causes a pressure to keep up that's constantly overwhelming. I will tell you, Sissy, as I read that, it makes me kind of anxious. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> when you read it out loud, about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, but you read that. Now, a parent would go, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, what can I do? do. I mean, my daughter loves social media. So can you unpack um, those things that social media causes in girls and then talk about how a parent should respond? Yes, except I don't remember what they are and I don't have the book in front of me. A false sense of security. A false sense of security because I think they are relationships in the social media world aren't real. And so it can create this sense of self and this sense of connection to people that's not based in real experience. And so I think it can give girls confidence that's not true. And I think it can also do the inverse of that for sure. But I think that's a part of it is I am maintaining these relationships because I've kept my Snapchat streak going with this person for a long enough period of time where that other person is just trying to be able to say they have so many streaks going. Right. And it's not really about the relationship. Right. So you, you talk about um, that they create false relationships. Yes. Um, so on one hand, social media can make girls feel good. Right. Um, But it's false. It's not real. But then the other side, you say that it feeds that comparison monster, which I think is enormous. Uh, I'll tell you, I got off Facebook because every time I got on, I go, oh my gosh, her husband takes her to France and (laughs) my husband doesn't, you know, and and, and even as a middle-aged person, it made me feel kind of bad. And I thought, I feel you know, I've got a really pretty great life. So how much, how would it make a young girl feel? So talk about how that comparison monster for that girl would really bring her down. 
Well, I think it's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, we all know social media is the highlight reel. And mm-hmm. so I'm comparing my worst days to everyone else's best days. Right. And I'm comparing my loneliness to all their photos of with all their friends. And I'm seeing in now in real time because of things like Snapchat that not only did they get together, but I'm watching them be together because of the things they're putting in their stories in those bubbles that show that they're actually with each other right now. I didn't know they were all t- together till I saw it on the snap map and I'm being left out. I'm being and left I, out. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think even in the pandemic, it's been so interesting to hear. I mean, I think that's been a dangerous piece of it because kids whose parents are more conservative that are watching others on social media mm-hmm. whose aren't, you know, those kids, I think their isolation has had more impact on them because of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Again, isolation, you write, for some kids, it's been really good. Uh, but it, you know, it's a double edged sword. It's really right. good because they've slowed down. Yes. Their, their life is quieter, which I've heard kids say, I spend more time with my mother and my father, and I love it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you have a, a violent home environment, it's going to be horrible. Right. Um, but then there's also the negative because they're withdrawn. I'm a parent, and I'm listening to you talk about social media, and my reaction is, I know, I know, I know, sissy, but my daughter loves it. Or I believe social media can be harmful to my daughter, but she needs that connection. Or I want her to decrease her screen time, but there's no way because she would throw a fit. So we as parents avoid. I hear this all the time. Yes. Yes. What do you say? Well, I mean, I think the ultimate would be if you could have a conversation, not a lecture, but a conversation. How's social media impacting you? Tell me the positives about it for you. Tell me the negatives. How are you doing on taking breaks? Because every researcher I've ever heard says you need to take breaks. You know, how can I support you to ask questions like that? And then if you do have the daughter who says, or you can tell based on, the, hopefully the app that you're using or something to monitor how much time she's on screens. If you can tell she's spending eight hours on social media a day, then at that point, you just, you're the bad guy as a parent. It's part of your role as a parent at times. And to say, you know what, we're just not going to do it. It's, I'm, I'm going to, part of my job is to do the best thing for you and to protect you. And, and that's what I've got to do here. Yeah. Well, you know, knowing that that social media is harming our daughters creates a lot of anxiety in us and so we go into the avoidance it's not that bad well my you know other girls can't handle it but my daughter's more mature and she's a really good kid and I tell parents it's the good girls you have to worry about because they believe everything that's talked to them and they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings that's so true. You're exactly one right. Even if it's the creepy guy who says he's 16, but he's really 56, stalking her. Yeah. Oh, we, yes. We, we, we don't have a lot of time yet, but I, I do want to go into your chapter on your t- time you spent on helping the heart. Um, you said that anxiety is the method of seeking two experiences certainty and comfort Um, but the problem is we want them immediately and continually so talk about how why we want certainty and comfort um, but we also want control and avoidance and how we uh, recognize what's in our heart and then how we help our daughters deal with that 
Well, I mean, I think we don't want to be in the distressing situation. And in our minds, we think the answer is if I can just feel secure in this moment, if I can know what's going to happen, if I can have control over it, then I'm going to be okay. And And you're talking about daughters here. Well, both. We do it and the kids do it. But I think especially the the girls, I mean, when I sit with parents of young ones, the word, two words they use the most are control and manipulation, that they feel controlling and they feel manipulative. And of course, they don't have coping skills yet. So control becomes the default coping skill in the absence of anything else. And I think that's true for us too. And we don't know sometimes that we're making those choices out of an anxious place. We think we're making it out of a protective place or a discerning place even. And, And so I think to evaluate our decisions based on that is going to help us evaluate theirs based on the same ideas. And I think we don't want to give into that. As you said before, we want our message to be, you can do hard things. I believe in you and I'm going to help you walk your way towards it. Right, right. Which we have not done, particularly with this pandemic thing. And I have advocated for kids to be back to school for quite a while, for many reasons. Mm. But when we tell them they can't be there, we increase their fear. If I go, I'm going to get sick. If I go, I'm going to get sick and I'm going to make my parents die. Um, Mm -hmm. If I go, um, you know, everybody tells, people tell me not to go and how, how do I know that they're not right and my parents are right. And so we, we make them more uncertain and, and we don't give them that comfort. So how can a parent in a, in a difficult time like this, um, improve their child's, their daughter's certainty and improve her comfort level so that it diffuses some of that anxiety. One of the things I do with kids a lot is have them draw kind of a circle of control and what are the things that they can control. Mm -hmm. And so knowing, you know, if they're going to school, they can wear a mask. And, And we know the research says, you know, it prevents, that's your area more than mine, but however much of disease, you know, spreading. And we know they can wash their hands and we, we can present them with some facts of the things that they can control and the, the difference those things make. And then beyond that, I think we say, okay, we're going to take each one of these other things to God anyway, because of course that's where we would go with the things we can't control. It's the only place we go. And so I think the certainty and where we can step into those things can bring some comfort for them and then reassuring them that you're doing everything as a parent to protect them. And the reality is, I think the kids that I'm seeing spin off the most about that, you know, like we would both, I think, feel that that anxiety shifts developmentally and it's never about the thing, you know, it's, it's whack-a-mole. And so it's never about whatever they're presenting. And so even to say that's that worry monster or worry whisperer coming back to you and talking to you and you're strong enough to say, I know how to do the things I know to do and I'm going to be okay. Otherwise. So I think we teach them, we do the control circle and then we empower them to do those things themselves and to be able to talk to themselves. And I think our voice starts and it ripples over into theirs and that can create a lot of comfort in them. Huge. What fabulous advice. You're talking to me right now, Sissy. <laughs> Good. I can do this. And I and I want to encourage parents out there too. Um, we really can present facts about COVID and say to them, look, COVID is not a kid's disease. You're yes. not going to kill your parents or your grandmother. You know, you, you, 
even if your parents are healthy and you're pretty healthy, um, the chance of your parents dying by getting COVID are extremely small. So to because we're at the point in the history of the pandemic, we can say that to them. Right. You know, maybe yeah. six months ago we couldn't, but we can now. So if we continually present truth to our kids and you're well, really what you're talking about this whole time is present truth to your kids in a confident, calm, empathetic way. Yes. Because that's a great way their to say brains it. are just going a million miles a minute. And I love I love your whack-a-mole right. um, analogy. It's exactly what it is. Mm. Um, so for one second, talk to the single parent out there who's saying, well, that's kind of easy for you to say, but I'm alone with my kid and I have to work all day and my kid's been home a lot during the pandemic and they're very anxious. What can I do? Because I'm, you know, and, and I'm so worried, you know, and I'm so stressed. If I'm this stressed, can I help my daughter? Yes. And, you know, I think probably the thing I'm saying the most to parents right now is I want you to give yourself grace and I want you to enjoy your child. Because they're hearing so much and they're so overwhelmed and we're so overwhelmed. And and there are so many things that we could talk about that enjoying and connecting with them does for them. I mean, I do think it helps with anxiety. It helps with self-regulation. I mean, there's so many things that sense of attunement can do. But I think we're all just living so tight and tense that they need to just be with you and feel like you enjoy them. Right. Exactly. Just enjoy your children. Yes. It sounds simple, but it's loaded, but you can do it. And that yes. will really help your daughter. Yes. Sissy, this has been so much fun. You know, it's we been could so sit here. fun. We could sit here for four hours. Totally. Coffee and time, next, next time. Yeah. Every <laughs> time you make a statement, I want you to say, okay, go deeper. You know, unpack <laughs> it. Unpack, but I have to go on to the next thing because your, your yeah. book has so much in it. And the thing that I love about your book, Brave, A Teen Girl's Guide to Beating Worry and Anxiety, it's written right to the girl. So if a parent has difficulty talking, hand her the book. Yes. You know, you have so so many questions in there and you say, okay, write it down, write it down, write it down. And that's what I love. It's kind of like a deep journal for girls. So thank you for writing the book and thank you for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Now on to my points to ponder. One, give daughters an emotional vocabulary. Many times, girls feel anxiety, but they can't describe it. They feel a general sense of discomfort and restlessness, but can't pinpoint what's going on. If they're taught how to identify feelings of anger, sadness, worry, fear, etc., then they can see that many of those feelings underlie the anxiety. Part of recovering from anxiety is the ability to name their feelings. Two, give girls hope. Anxiety can, quote, talk to people. It conveys to a person that life is falling apart, that you'll never get better, you're stuck. And as they experience anxiety, girls may not be able to immediately integrate hopeful feelings, but over time, they'll sink in. Hope pulls girls forward. It allows them to see that anxiety can be limited and that they will recover from it. Three, teach your daughter that all feelings are legitimate. Often girls hide their feelings, particularly from their parents, because they either don't want to let people down 
or they don't want attention. They fear repercussions from discussing the feelings. When they're convinced that adults can handle their feelings, they experience a great sense of relief. So in order to help your daughter get anxiety and overcome it, you must give them an emotional vocabulary and start when they're young, give them hope and assure them that all feelings are okay. I want to thank my guest, Sissy Goff, for joining me on the show today. To find out more about Sissy, go to RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. Be sure to follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Sissy Goff in your internet browser. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, give your daughters an emotional vocabulary. Two, give your daughter hope. And three, teach your daughter that all feelings are legitimate. And remember, check out MeekerParenting.com and sign up for my private community. I know you'll love it. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. 